list or a continuation of the same list. Left off at 60 with Artis Gilmore. We have our nominations from each position. We have Damian Lillard, Ray Allen, Alex English, George McGinnis, and Spencer Haywood. We're getting into a fun area where I think we've exhausted all the elite number ones. Then we get into, I mean, you can say Dame is still that guy, Alex English, but a Dame-led number one team, there's there's caps on that in a sense. We're getting into this area where you have to have the perfect complimentary guys, or not even the perfect complimentary guys, but we're getting into a list where guys do not have the perfect complimentary guys. Does anyone interest you? You got five options. I'd be okay with, with three of these guys here. I'm curious what you have to say. Really? I'm curious as to which the three are. Just so you know, in the Matrix, there is the 60th, the 62nd, the 63rd, the 64th, and the 81st guy on the board right now. Interesting. And I think I like Mr. 60, Damian Lillard. I think, I think that's where I'm going too, because as soon as I said where well, we were done with the with the with the ones, Damian Lillard's still a one. And a high-end one, if that he's been able to a kind of a duo in that season with him and CJ, go to the Western Conference Finals. But with Dame, you're gonna go to the playoffs. You're probably gonna win a playoff series, given health. And that Western Conference Finals run is kind of a bit of a weird run. I mean the Nuggets were a year too early. They do go to Game 7 and beat the Nuggets, which is really cool. Um, Dame has a really subpar game. That Game 7, he goes 3 for 17 from the floor and only has 13 points, but he finds other ways to be effective with 8 assists and 10 rebounds, which, you know, Lillard balling out for 10 rebounds is pretty cool. Good way to stay mm-hmm. impactful as, like, the smallest guy out there. Something I like to know with Lillard is he has a two-season stretch, 2016-2017, where he has 26 points, six assists, and four and a half boards on solid efficiency for a guard. And he doesn't make the All-Star team either year. You can easily look at his career and, and say, this is probably like an eight-time All-Star. If he was healthy last year, this could have been a, a nine-time All-Star. And then we're an elite of elite territory. And you might look at him a little bit differently, but I, I'd like to say that those seasons are as good as they were with or without the all-star appearance. And I think 60 is good. Absolutely. One of the things I really like about Lillard is when we talk about contribution to winning, he didn't win, but you look at what he did, the man contributed. They would not have gotten nearly as far as without him. Looking at the next year, or the 2021 playoffs, they get knocked out in the first round. That does not stop Lillard from having two 30-plus point nights, a 42-point night, and a 55-point night. Like, the only reason this team is doing things is because of Lillard's contributions. If I remember correctly, that 55-point night is the highest game score in a playoff game ever. It is 55.9 game score, so it's uh, definitely got to be up there. It's also a little bit sad, but he does d- put that up in a loss. That's true. It was a, a very rough showing from his teammates in that in that game, but that gives us Tiny Archibald as the next, next point guard up. I feel like we're going to wait a little bit. We're going to be around for a while. I like Tiny. I like Tiny, too. I just It won't be that long. I was so excited when I learned that his name was Nate. You guys are just the same. Yeah, we're both Tiny. How do you feel about Alex English at 62? He's actually one that I'm not the biggest this fan of. Could I talk to you about a Ray Allen? That's the other option. That, that's the other one I was looking at. I'm interested. I, I do like... I prefer what English has kind of done in that 85 season where he's basically 30 a night and that team goes to the Western Conference final. You never really get that level from Ray Allen, but I I think either one would be nice. 85 for the playoffs, 86 regular season. It's a really good stretch, but I want to say when you look at two of these guys, you got to remember 
for the pace of the play being different. So if we look at English per per 100 possessions, he's mid 30s, 30, 30 to 35. Um, and if we look at Ray Allen, who scored a lot less, um, but but also played at a slower pace, when we adjust his per 100 possessions, which I've said in the past, not a big fan of the per 100 possessions. He's scoring at the same clip. He's in that 30 to 35 clip range. Um, just just the pace of play is different. And the thing that I always love about Ray Allen is that he got his team to the Eastern Conference Finals and took took the 76ers to Game 7. And, and the big reason why they get to Game 7 is because his Game him 6 was a 41-point night outing. And do you want to know what he shot from 3 for that, ser- that series? I have no idea. Go ahead. He shot 50%. Like 50.7. 28 for 55. Jeez. The production's there for both these guys. I feel like English's work as a first option isn't really impressive. I mean, 82 to, to 89, he's playing basically every single game, and he's taking the, uh, 22 shots per game, and you can you can adjust that per 100. I don't know if Ray Allen gets that kind of work, and even on that that team that goes to the Eastern Conference Finals, you have like Glenn Robinson and Sam Cassell. Can I also add in that one of the nice things about Ray Allen and as a first option is his team was always one of the best offenses in the league. That 2001 stretch, they are the number one rated offense. Uh, the next year, they're playing a ton of different guys, so they dropped to eighth, he thought, of 29 teams. But then 2003, they're back up to second. 2004, it falls off again. But then he gets to Seattle, and he has another couple of stretches being a top-five offense. That's kind of the main, the main guy. I'm sold. Do you want to do Ray Allen and Alex English? Yeah, you can talk me into English. English is the right. the low man on the rankings here, but I I will praise what English does. And it is a bit of how his career lines up, um, that he is the, the highest leading scorer in the 80s. But if you also look at a 10-year stretch, he outscores Carmelo Anthony and, and Dominique Wilkins. Like, they don't, you can't make a 10-year stretch better for those guys, even though they weren't, didn't do it all in the 80s, per se, you know. 80 is a very arbitrary moniker that he lines up super well with, but he outswears them even when we take take out that restriction. Just look at 10-year peaks. He's really an incredible scorer, and that, that both these guys are. But who does that bring onto our list to debate? From the shooting guards, we have Sidney Moncrief, and from the small forwards, we have Paul George. Ooh. Some interesting ones. Really like Moncrief, but I don't quite think right here is the spot. Also, are you sure that we have Sidney Moncrief over Sam Jones? I don't have Sam Jones on this list. I had Sam Jones marked at twelve, or marked at eleven, and Moncrief at twelve. Oh yeah, we had Sam Jones. We actually, when did that happen? At some point, I crossed off Sam Jones, and he was ahead of Ray Allen. What do you see? I see. I got Sam Jones right after Ray Allen above Moncrief. That I think that feels right. That feels like something we would do. Yeah. I could. Uh, I, I definitely posted a video about that at the time. I, I wonder. I, I think we would. We would have put Allen over Jones. I can't imagine we made that argument. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Sam Jones is the shooting guard. Coming from the shooting guards is Sam Jones now and Paul George for the small forwards. Are you going to talk yourself into Paul George, the top 64 player of all time? Oh, way too high. Way, way, way too high. <laughs> way too high. I, I, at this point, I think our power forward nomination of George McGinnis kind of speaks to me. What do you think? I mean, if you're going to let me ISO and talk about George McGinnis, or even we can run a two-man game on the ABA MVP Man who jumps comes to the NBA before the merger, you know, gets in the top five of MVP voting in in the NBA. Does let down the 76ers and kind of cost them a championship. But 
remember how I was telling you about the Nuggets team? Actually, I don't. Yeah, we were texting about this. I mentioned it, it to uh, Dylan. But in '76, the ABA has the Denver Nuggets play all of the other All Stars, which I think is just an astounding thing to talk about. But just a unique thing. Um, but they did that based on the strength of how good they were in 75 and that they were the preseason favorites to win in 76. And McGinnis goes up against them and delivers a 30.14, well, 15 in rebounds, basically nine assists, second round performance. Like, that's a that's a run and against a team that was good enough to play the entire All-Stars of the ABA in 75. So I really like McGinnis. The other option here, I think, We'd be looking at Spencer Haywood. You get the ABA MVP, and then he he plays really well. He dominates the NBA, so you get both ABA and NBA domination. Does he win a title? Haywood gets a ring. Yeah, but way later. Well, he's a member of the '80s Lakers team, but is sent home. Also, if you've watched Showtime, he puts a hit out on the Lakers and then calls it off. It's it's a fun little story that is actually true, but totally could have been made up for TV. It's just just one of those <laughs> things. For McGinnis, you have someone averaging 20 and 11 with three and a half assists for their career, peaking out in the ABA with 30 and 14 with six assists. Has a nice year in Denver in 1979, averaging 23 and 11. Is the second best player in a title on a championship or just a, a finals run team in 77. For Haywood, you get someone averaging 20 and 10 with two assists. You get that ABA peak of all 84 games, 45 minutes per game, playing with 30 points and 19 boards. And he still gets to 29 and, and 12 in the NBA in 1973. The playoffs are, are not really there for, for Haywood at all. He, he has 11 playoff series. He goes 7-4 in those. Um, but m- a lot of that comes from the one ring where he's essentially not playing for the Lakers. Yeah, but he also isn't getting the playoffs in a lot of the other years. I mean... Where is he 71, 72, 73, 74, 76, 77, 79, 81? It's, and something we have to mention is the is McGinnis being a part of the Pacers, essentially, dynasty of the ABA. It is. But the flip side of that, that I just have to look at, is right behind Spencer Haywood in our center's ranking is Mel Daniels. And so I'm kind of weighing, do I feel like we should put Mel Daniels above McGinnis? Because as... A former Hoosier, this that is a take that a lot of old heads as will have. And when I first like went on my McGinnis rant, I got a lot of whoa, whoa, whoa. He's good, but he's no Mel Daniels. And so I, I, I've kind of weighed, and I'm like, is that just nostalgia? Would we? How are we actually thinking about this? I, I'm kind of tempted to go Spencer Haywood, Mel Daniels, and then George McGinnis just all together. I, I like that McGinnis was able to to play really well in the NBA. Something to note is McGinnis does win a, a playoffs MVP, which is something the ABA did, while well, Mel Daniels never was able to do that. That's fair. There's a, see, there's a playoff series. In 1975, the first round, McGinnis is 38-18-9. and 18 and nine. 38 points, 19 boards, 9 assists. And they win that series, obviously. The next series, he's 30, 30 points, 15 boards, and again, 9 assists. There's some crazy point-forward shit going yeah. on here. That's that's the Denver series. Yeah. And the series before that, it's him versus George Gervin. So he basically goes through a run of NBA playoff caliber. He goes, he outduels Gervin in the first round, takes on the Denver Nuggets, who have just a litany of NBA players. Then in the finals, goes up against Artis Gilmore, Dan Issel, Willie Dampier, or sorry, Louis Dampier, and Will Jones, who was 
all-defensive first team that season at the power forward position. I like it. Screw it. Let's let's do who George McGinnis at 64. Are you okay if we do who Spencer Haywood uh, 65 and then uh, Mel Daniels 66? Or do you want to try to talk hook, uh, talk me into anyone else in these ranges? I think that's the smart way to go. Mel Daniels is an MVP caliber player. He has two of them, two MVPs and three championships. He's one of the very few people to say that. It just lands in a weird spot. He's dominating the early ABA a little bit. And just the ABA in general. Something I do like about Daniels, though, is he gets better. His peak doesn't come right when the ABA starts. His peak comes way later when the the league gets a lot stronger. His first season, he is 22 points, 15 boards on 40% shooting and 57% from the line. By three years later, the league's getting stronger around him. He's just getting better. He's 21 points, 18 boards on 51% shooting. It's a 10% increase, plus a 10% increase from the line. He's just a more effective player as time goes on. I think Haywood into Daniels is solid. Yeah, I don't think, I think there's that much Spencer of a difference. Haywood above the- yeah, it's, we did that? You have it on your list and I have it on mine. There's not much we can debate <laughs> about this year. That's true. You can't, you can't double back. It's hard to say with both of those guys, though, too, because that, that era in the NBA was such a dominant era for the centers and it was such a weak era for the ABA if these guys were NBA players would they be average would they not be the average starting centers with a a league that has like 16 teams hardish to say because we never really get to see it until they're both significantly older but I guess I guess what am I talking about Haywood was in the NBA for most of this time and I'm just rattling nonsense you gotta stop me when I do that (laughs) I uh we don't see it with Mel Daniels but that's true. We don't. I think that's kind of the keys. We don't see it with uh, we don't see it with Daniel, but we see it with Haywood, and I think that's important because when um, when Haywood joins the NBA, he's Kareem is there and Wilt is still there. the The giants of the league are still are still present. Yeah. That brings us to number sixty seven. We have Tiny Archibald, Sam Jones, Paul George, Garrett, George McGinnis, Pau Gasol, Neil Johnston. What a strange cast. You want to keep it rolling with uh, you want to keep it rolling with some centers. No, this does not feel like the right move to keep going with Neil Johnston. <laughs> Tell me what you're thinking. I, well, part of me really, really likes Tiny Archibald here. I see it. I see the vision. You know, we're looking at guys that are not the number one. Um, I, I like to look at if a guy could have been the number one with just some different teammates. You know, what what does it look like? Who do you have to build around him? And Tiny, it, it's hard. It's very hard to build a team around this small of a guard. But he leads the league in scoring and assists in 73. You cannot tell me that a player does that and, and couldn't do more. Now, now, maybe we do run into the Russell Westbrook of it all of, hey, this guy is incredibly inefficient and stat padding. But, I mean, he's out there running with Sammy, slamming Sam Lacey, Matt Gutkus, uh, Nate Williams. Listen, there's one Nate that the I'm excited to be with. <laughs> yeah. The teams are horrible. Archibald is per league average every single year, but his last two, he's above average in true shooting. So the efficiency is there. Something that that does kind of matter to me is he is able to win a championship. And he's not the best player on that team by any means. But in those Celtics years, he makes three all-star teams, same when he was in his prime. In the passing, the passing is still there. The scoring isn't there. His efficiency is up a little bit, but that passing, he's still in the top five, I think, for all those Celtics years in assists per game for those three, in assists per game. So he's still very impactful. I think you could argue he's he is more impactful post-injury than someone like 
a Derrick Rose or what Penny Hardaway was able to put together. We've seen these injuries hit point guards. What they recover to is usually league average. I don't think Archibald's league average. He's quite a bit above that. Yeah, I'm pulling it up here now. He's first in assists this one time. He's second two times, third two times, fourth again. And the league didn't keep track of turnovers during his really high assists this year's, um, those those kind of earlier years. But when they do, he's still 2.5 to 1. So pretty efficient playmaker. I'm all for it. Tiny Archibald coming up next. Perfect. Locking in number 67. Oh, man. Do, do we really have Kevin Johnson up next? Yeah, we point do. Guard scale? <laughs> it's Kevin Johnson. The next point guard up. I think we're going to I think we're, we're going to wait a while before we see another point guard. Even looking at the guys behind him, I feel good about those guys are probably closer to 80, 90. Yeah. 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 But I like we've got coming up at power forward. I think actually we could probably throw the next two power forwards up kind of back to back. Pau Gasol and Kevin McHale. Yes, sir. Hmm. That feels high for Pau. It feels a little high. Yeah. Just just gut feeling it feels high. Here's the thing with Pau. There is a statistical case you could make that he is the best player on the 2010 Lakers. That's true. I don't think it's a good case. I don't actually like it. But there is that case. Pau, Pau is also just a fantastic... Um, it's a fantastic international player. I know we don't count that for anything. But we have seen him be a leader, and he kind of got short-shifted being a Western Conference power forward where he doesn't pick up a lot of awards. And this man, let's see here, from basically from the time he's drafted, but we'll go from his sophomore year uh, to the year he's year before he's traded, is averaging basically 19 and 9, 19 and 8.5 as a power forward. And that's not good enough to be an all-star. He, he only gets one all-star appearance during that because of the likes of Duncan and Chris Webber, not to mention other forwards. That's literally just the power forwards in his own conference that he has to deal with in that pre-2008 range. Amari Stoudemire, toss him in there as well. So he, he's missing out on a lot of the accolades, but tremendous passer, score, rebounder, excellent defensive player, came up really big for the Lakers in the clutch in 2010. And that's a really an unbelievable performance from him. Kendra Perkins goes down on the Celtics side, and he takes advantage, and that's that's what great players do, man. Also, it's just kind of a fun thing about him, is he gets two of his six All-Star appearances in Chicago, which just... just Those are some of his best years. Statistically, is his... His years in Chicago, I, looking at it, I can go over it right now. Yeah, for, it's not yeah. peak pow. It's, it's, it's not peak pow, starting like, to get faster. By box plus minus, 2016 in Chicago is his third best season. And by win shares, 2015 is his fifth best season. Which, these are age 34 and age 35 seasons, which I just find, like, the longevity of pow is truly special. They're renaissance years, and he's able to be effective in San Antonio as well. Whether that's worth much, not really here, but he's old. He's really old. He plays until he cannot anymore, and he's yeah. effective till the end. Yes, that is that is the thing, is that he's putting up good years. It's not like Vince Carter-ish years until he's 37. I'm still kind of interested in Paul George, just for the level he gets to. When Paul George is playing, I think he's just better. He's just better than Gasol. And you get to that level of a third place MVP finish. I know the playoffs aren't really there, but it's it's just a little it's a little difficult for me. Yeah. George is probably a better number one. Um and 
probably if we ever got to see Paul George have a time to be the number two. That's what he was supposed to be with Kawhi, but we've never really gotten the both of them healthy. Yeah, at this point, I, he's the number one. I think it's I think it's about right. I think that by the end of his career, he will be higher than Pau. But just looking at a lot of their career numbers, I like Pau higher. But I, I'll concede. I'll let you take Paul George. Okay. Those Indiana years are really kind of forgotten about just how good Paul George was. You know, and he was a defensive first player, so you don't always see it statistically. But young Paul George trying to defend LeBron James from basically the moment he enters the league was a good battle. And he has those back-to-back years where he takes where, I mean, he doesn't take the Pacers, but the Pacers get to the Eastern Conference Finals with him being one of their key players. He takes takes the the Heat to Game Seven, which, yeah, not a great Game Seven performance, but he handles business in Game Six, so. I don't hate it. Since since 2016, George has been 24 points, four assists, and seven boards on 44, 39, 85 splits. Add in the defensive aspect, you get a fantastic two-way player. I think him over Gasol is probably the right choice. All right. Can we at least... Are you comfortable with Gasol next? Or is there someone else you still like over Gasol? Moving off Paul George opens up Carmelo Anthony. And if we're going to argue oh. that George is a better player i think we have to hold true with the argument of carmelo anthony is a better player i am so for it i'm all in um i I missed that in the i forgot to move george out i think in general carmelo has been disrespected by by this this newest generation of of tiktok people and, and and instagram um, as just kind of an inefficient score. That's kind of what the era was, though. You had one guy like taking a, a who ran the offense through, and for t- to be as efficient as Carmelo even was, I think was an accomplishment. To say he's not one of the best scorers ever is 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 just ridiculous. Well, and for what I remember of those Nuggets teams and getting to watch them, where they kind of fell apart was with their bigs. Yeah, they played the Lakers in the playoffs, and I. I was never really scared, even though I want to say that they actually start off that 9 series up on us, pulling up to double check, but I feel like they won the first two games. Um, no, they they split the first two games. But I, I really felt like our bigs were just so much more dominant and powerful than Kenyon Martin and Nene. And, you know, they're... That's insane, saying that, looking back. Kenny Martin and Nene are a combined 400 pounds of muscle, like 450 pounds of muscle. Those dudes are like, at the end of their careers, they were like the strong, the strong old big dudes. And and you're talking about them like they're they're tiny men. Yeah, but they weren't the seven footers. They weren't Andrew Bynum. They weren't Pau Gasol. And, you know, that that was kind of the fight was like Gasol was so much better than the second best nugget. But that that Western Conference Finals... Carmelo's kind of going toe-to-toe with Kobe, and maybe you could kind of forget about Chauncey Billups a bit here. So maybe, maybe Gasol and Billups are closer fight, but we, we just pounded them down low, and I, I like it. I think, I think Carmelo gets forgotten about too much. There's a stretch here from 07 to 2014 where Carmelo is second, fourth, eighth, third, third, sixth, first, and second in points per game. The scoring volume is there. I think, what is he, 10th in points all time? 11th? He's 11th in, in, in points. Only 10 players have ever scored more points than Carmelo. Yeah, we're talking about him down at for number 70, or uh, 69, I mean. I think this is the right spot. I think you might be able to argue even a little bit higher, but I'd hate to see him slip any, any further. No one's debating the fact that he should have been 75 at 75, which means he could slide another six spots, but he can't slide any further. 
with Carmelo off the board, we get Billy Cunningham for another small forward. I think at this point we're comfortable with Gasol. Absolutely. I lo- love Gasol up next. And then I think I would also argue his uh, backup in this sense, the next best power forward on the list, who shares a very similar case with him as far as not being the guy, but being the guy next to the guy that looks really good. Kevin McHale should be up next. I, I When I first, we first made these lists, McHale really fell on the power forwards from what I was used to. And I'm just like, man, like I can't imagine McHale not in the top 75, but he's fallen pretty much exactly where I usually have him. Just a little bit, maybe like five spots back. I think I had him at like 62 or something. Um, so I, I like the I like the result here. I want to say this is one of the most dramatic differences between us and the writers' polls that I use. Kevin McHale is 39th in the writers' polls that I use to make the Matrix. So when people are standing out here screaming, "How can you be this disrespectful to Kevin McHale? You guys don't know anything about basketball." I kind of know that we are very disrespectful here, but I don't, I don't fully agree. I don't agree. think it's that disrespectful. I, I think we were consistent in our metric, which is how good is the player? What is his role on the team? What is the result? I, yeah. And looking at Mikhail, you're like, okay, he can be the second best player in a title team. There's a lot of guys who could do that. I'd argue there's 70 guys that can do that. That's why we're, that's why he's number 70. Um, what is a team without one of the 10 best players ever on it look like for Mikhail? And the answer, he's not the 40th best player ever, because that team doesn't look so good. We only get to see it after he's he's pretty banged up, but it's a sizable difference, and you get to see it for sure, because Bird gets hurt, and then it comes back. So you see a really good Celtics team, a mess Celtics team, and then a really good Celtics team again. And it's just, is Larry Bird playing? Check this box. If you check yes, you're going to win 50 games. If you check no, then you're not, whether McHale's there or not. The other thing is the contribution to winning. Because everyone likes to point out that he is a three-time champion. And that's true. He is a three-time champion. But in 81, the 81 finals, he plays 13 minutes a night. Now, by the 84 finals, he's coming off. Well, he might not be coming off the bench. But he's he's up to 30 minutes a night in 84. It's it's a solid performance. It's 13 points, six rebounds. It's not, he is not winning them this title. When we get to 86... Mikhail is fantastic. Mikhail is really good. He's probably the second most important Celtic. He's maybe 1B to Larry Bird's 1A. But 84, he's a starter. Not not anything much more remarkable than being a starter. Just like his 13 and 9 on 30 minutes a game is just like anyone else's. It's not the special yeah. magic, magical Kevin Mikhail 13 and 9. Can we get off topic just for a second? Because I meant to mention this to you. I made videos about Dwight Howard and his Hall of Fame chances. And I'm like, yeah, of course he's a Hall of Famer. But I didn't list his 2020 ring because I don't give a shit. I don't care that he was on that team. And everyone's like, Dwight was important. And he, they needed him. And he stopped Jokic and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, he averaged three points in the finals. Uh, he yeah. averaged like seven minutes a game. This is fucking ridiculous. I have to have this conversation. Like, They're like, no, like, like there's not just, you know, some things just the eye test, man. And I'm like, oh yeah, an eye test for six minutes when he's on the floor. Like, be for real, man. Like, it doesn't change anything. 
Yeah, he was important. He was in the rotation. He doesn't even, like, in the first round, or I think the second round, he doesn't even play. He doesn't match up. He doesn't match up with Portland or whoever the fuck it was. Houston or something. I yeah. figured you'd like that. I figured you'd like that spiel. I, Just It's, it's I, over. And, it, and the same thing went to when I, I said that Andre Godal is not a Hall of Famer. People were like, four rings. And I'm like, yeah, he didn't fucking play on one of them. Or two of them he barely played. He, like, heavily yeah. contributed no. to one of them. I love it. And it's the same, it's the very similar thing with McHale for that 84 run. I mean, not not quite to that respect, but so game one, he plays 39 minutes. Game two, he plays 37 minutes. Starts dropping. And from there, games three, 29, 34, 21, 28, 26. Like by game seven, he's down to 26 minutes playing, getting 10 points. Game seven or game six, he was at 28 minutes, six points. Like, like he is not a focal point. And like, yes, it's nice that he's there and it's it's good, but... If we are talking about the greatest of all time greats, this is not the case. And with Dwight, that is not the case because Dwight is, Dwight took a team to the finals. Dwight has five years as the best center in the league. If that doesn't get him in there, doesn't get him to the 75 at 75, then what is one ring with six minutes a night? What, what does that matter? Who cares? I, that? I made that argument against his 2020 ring, 2020 ring, not because I don't like Dwight, because I want to discredit his accomplishments, because I do like Dwight. And we put him, we had him as like the 51st best player ever, because yeah. that 2020 ring is like the 45th reason that he's that high. It's yes. so far down the list that I don't even think it's worth mentioning when you talk. I mean, you can mention it, obviously, because he did it, but it's uh, it's so not consequential. Absolutely. Anyways, I think Sam Jones should be the next pick. I like it. All it's right, it's much higher than than where I have him in the Matrix. Um, the Matrix has him down at eighty, but Sam Jones is a defensive first player. Sam mm -hmm. Jones, Sam Jones is actually the reason why people don't like Oscar Robertson. I didn't know people didn't like Oscar Robertson. These are both these are both both these things are news to me. The internet uh, does not like Oscar Robertson. Just try telling someone that Oscar is better than uh, Isaiah Thomas. Did Sam Jones? destroy the Royals or something in the playoffs. And yes. Is that what you're getting at? Okay. Sam Jones has the night of his life to save Boston. Uh, game seven of 63, Sam Jones drops 47 points, uh, out-dueling Oscar, who drops 43 points to save the Celtics dynasty. When you talk about contributing to titles, for Sam Jones' first, second, and third ring, he's not really contributing. That's okay, because he gets a lot more. Because he get there's a few more that come after this. Yes. In 62, 1962, he's 22 points per game. 63, he's 24. 64, this is in the finals. Uh, 1964, he's 21 points per game. 65, he's up to, to 28. And really, 1965 is his, like, his magnum opus. It is such an unbelievable season, scoring in the regular season and the playoffs. And again, in 66, back to the finals, 23 points per game. Uh, and then 68 and 69, he's 17, 18 points per game. The production falls off, but he's still playing about 30 minutes a game. Up until the end, that's contributing to winning. And that's, that's not just being a part of something great. That is driving the great thing. And that 65 playoff run, he is 41 minutes per game on 29 points, two and a half assists, and four and a half rebounds. That's a, that's a hell of a season. I could not rank him over Bill, but... I did go through and rank every Celt well, I ranked the top five or six Celtics for every ring. And from 62 to 66, those five years, he is the number two player on five straight title teams. And I think that is 
that is worth being top 75 all time. Man, do we think we messed this up? Do you want to go Sam Jones then, Mikhail? Because that's that, that's no. something we can do. That's, that doesn't break any order. It just we've kind of talked ourselves into it. It, it doesn't, but I... I... He's the, you just said yeah, he's the second best player. On, yeah, let's do it. Changing the list. Yeah, yeah. I part of me was thinking, hey, what if Mikhail got to have his own team, and I, I think Mikhail would have fared a little bit better as a number one than than Sam Jones would have, um, because Jones never needed to carry the offense. They always had like your score. Because newsflash, NBA scores are really easy to find. You can find someone that'll score fifteen to twenty points. Like they they grow on trees. Every team has a Jordan Poole, an Anthony Simons, a Jalen Brunson, a Tyler Hero. Like you cannot tell me though those players are different. They're the same people. <laughs> that leaves us. Hey, let me edit it. One day I'm gonna get a keyboard that makes no sound, and God, I'm gonna podcast so easily when that day comes. I just mash on the keyboard. That brings us the power forward of Mari Stoudemire, and now finally the shooting guard Sidney Moncrief. All right, too high for both those guys. This is this is still seventy five and seventy five territory. That's true. We have uh we are at seventy three. We have three more spots: seventy three, four, and five, waiting for either Kevin Johnson, Sidney Moncrief, Billy Cunningham, Amari Stoudemire, and Neil Johnston. What a hell of a group! But this feels right. This feels about right for the the seventy uh those last few spots. But these spots are important. TikTok will see these spots. These are the important ones. We'll see all the spots, but I don't know. I don't actually really like anybody in this range. I'm kind of looking at it. I'm like, man, can we just do a run on small forwards and get get, Bern, get Grant Hill in here? How many small forwards we got to get out of the way to get Grant Hill? Just one. It'd be Billy Cunningham and then Grant Hill. Okay. So that's doable. Well, yeah, I think Bernard looking King? at it, Bernard King is not one of the 75 best players. Stop it. <laughs> with Billy Cunningham, he's been there for a while now. My thing with Billy Cunningham is Cunningham is not super important to his nba ring like he's younger he's this is second year in the league and he's contributing but he's probably the third or fourth most important person in that philadelphia 76ers team yeah probably say fourth yeah he's definitely contributing it's not it's not a mikhail first ring or sam jones first view he's definitely on there i mean he's playing 27 minutes per game in the regular season 22 in the playoffs yeah it's it's probably worse than mikhail's second ring which was something that i just went hard in on um but but he's also really young he does continue to get better but he jumps to the aba and he becomes an aba mvp Mm -hmm. after being nowhere near that in the nba and it's it's kind of like man your your best accolade is is going to the other league i felt like in a weird way looking at cunningham his skill set screams aba they are going to yes. love a good rebounding, good passing 6-6 six, six power forward. They're small forward slash power forward. And he dominates. He is, I just punched my chair. Um, and he, he dominates in that in that league. And his numbers are basically exactly the same beforehand. I just think his effectiveness in, in the ABA is a little bit more, more present. They don't make the playoffs the year before that. But there, I mean, looking at 69-70 and 71, the Sixers lose in the first round each year. The first year... Cunningham's 24, 12, and 2. Next year, he's 29, 10, and 4. And then he really peaks out in a game. Uh, they go to 7 against Baltimore, and he's 26, 15, and, and 6. So clearly, he's not just some scrub that showed up to win an no, ABA MVP. Not. In game 7, Sixers 
at Bullets. They lose by eight. Cunningham has 30, 19, and four. His teammate Archie Clark has 37, two, and five. He's also the subject of one of the greatest quotes of all time. I don't think I know the quote. Dave DeBusher, after defending him, says that uh, Billy Cunningham was so phenomenal, the only way that I could have stopped him tonight was with a gun. And even that's questionable. The way he was going, <laughs> he probably would have just dodged the bullets. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Um, I think with that alone, you're comfortable going Cunningham to Grant Hill. Yeah. I mean, you know, I always I always kind of take what players say with a grain of salt, but I do love getting oral histories of the game and listening to what other players say, especially when they can kind of compare to modern things. Fred Carter looked at Cunningham and said that he could do everything Trace McGrady could do, but just wasn't as quick. You know, he was... Uh, a fantastic passer, or at least a incredibly flashy passer. He did average like four turnovers a game when he goes to the ABA, and start uh, start counting those those turnovers. But he was a quick, nimble, good cutter, good slasher. I, I like the spot for him. Let's let's get the kangaroo kid locked in. I love it. I think in my old top seventy-five, I think Cunningham was one of the last people I had I had really thought about for that seventy-fifth spot. I ended up going with Weber, who we moved up like twenty spots, uh, twenty spots. But going on to Grant Hill, you get a, both a phenomenal career and also a career crushed by injuries. He manages to do both. He plays for long enough to do both. He is a seven-time All-Star. He is a five-time All-NBA player. He has years where he's 22-7-7 seven and seven for a seven-year stretch in his prime, and then he just gets crushed by age 30. But we do get to see how good he was, and it's really good. The teams aren't fantastic, and the playoffs are a bit of a struggle. But at this level, at this point, I'm not going to demand playoff success, especially given that this is a number one. We're still in the number one territory, uh, essentially number one on, on pretty bad teams. But his effectiveness is, is unbelievable. Yeah, I, I'm in. I love Grant and Hill. What, I feel like I've said that for like the last half of the podcast, but he was the next Jordan, but he was also a passer. He was a better version of, not a better version, but it was somewhere between Pippen and and Jordan smashed together when he came into the league, and he leads all NBA teams in votes two years in a row. He just was on such a, a superstar trajectory that I, I like this spot for him. And I know we are really tough on a lot of guys that don't play much, and he has that four-year stretch from age 28 to 31 where he is just not playing basketball that, that really digs into him. But we still have another five-year stretch over averaging over 20 points. I guess technically we could call it a six-year if we add in his rookie year. But I think the peak is high enough that this is where I like Grant Hill. I'm all for it. This leaves us in a really interesting position. For the last 75th spot, we have Kevin Johnson, Sidney Moncrief, Jimmy Butler, Amari Stoudemire, and Neil Johnston. This feels like the Johnston spot. This is right about where I had him on my own list. I feel like, I, I mean... In terms of, of dominance, he did play a long time ago, but he is a six-time All-Star. He has the five All-NBA appearances. He has the three scoring titles and the championship. I can't really imagine putting anyone else around in this spot over him. How on earth did we get Jimmy Butler to be the 18th best small forward? What? <laughs> That's what was... Just... <laughs> This is why I love that we did that first, and so we have like a structure we have to follow. Because we could just be all, we could be debating. I think that's the right spot. Butler, it's like, it goes Butler, Tatum, and Bernard King. Like, I think that's right. Jimmy Butler took his team to the finals, man. Oh my god! Uh, all right, all right. I've gotten over it. I'm, I'm okay. 
I'm okay. Are you okay? Are you in for Neil Johnston for that last spot? Yeah, I think Neil Johnston is the right move here. He's a good player on a title team and a great player on, on dog shit teams. That's that's kind of his thing. It's really short, but it's also in the 50s. Yeah. I think it's pretty long yeah. given the 50s. I want to find like the mean length of career if you if you started your career at some point in the 50s. I wanted to note really quickly, I, I've been talking about the Hall of Fame on my TikTok. This just reminded me. And I said Iggy Doll is not a Hall of Famer. And some guy was like, Al Servi is a Hall of Famer. And I'm like, Al Servi played in 1937. Do you have any, you have any clue on why he might be a Hall of Famer? Like any idea? on someone who was inducted in 1985, maybe might have made it. This guy wasn't just one of the first great players, one of the first players, period. It's obvious why he's in the hall. He was playing before World War II. All right, mini rant over. I want to, he goes by the Digger, right? I'll serve you. Yeah, yeah. Digger. Hell of a, of a defensive player. Or by all accounts, um, was he also the player coach of those early Syracuse Nationals? He was. He was. He wins like a coach of the year. I think he's playing at the same time. He also coaches the Nationals to the, the 55 title in which Neil Johnston... Oh, wait, no. That's 56. Never mind. That would have been a cool loop around if it all came back around. But for a year off. He drafted Neil Johnston, maybe. There you go. We'll see. No, he didn't. He didn't. <laughs> fun, fun story about the, the Syracuse Nationals, though. Um, it's either them or the Rochester Royals. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the Syracuse Nationals. They started off as a corporate sponsored team. And do you want to guess what their original corporate sponsor was? I have no idea. Well, good, because this may or may not be true about them or the Rochester Royals. <laughs> um, but it was it was Seagram's. They were originally oh, right. sponsored by Seagram's, which I just find really interesting that, you know, we've, we've gone I, so I... far away from having corporate sponsors to now moving back to having their, like, ads on jerseys. It's just like, we've come full circle. I hope that's true. Although my favorite podcast topic is misinformation we can just say whatever you want are you comfortable with neil johnston at 75 what's your what's yeah. your do you have a case against him because you know that you know that he was he didn't play very long but it is the 50s he led the league in field goal percentage three times that's pretty important yeah he just wasn't an mvp he wasn't a champion i mean he wasn't the best player on a championship team like to be the second best player on a championship team is less impressive the further back you go um and do you have someone you'd like over him? Because I mentioned, because I, no. I don't really see that. I see that's that's what I'm saying. You're no. not happy about him, but you got nothing to give. I, I don't have a lot to give. That that is that's part of the problem. Let's do it. Lock him in. God, who even is our next center on the board? It's the chief, man. Oh, I would have been so much happier with Robert Parrish. You would have been happier with it, but we did this to ourselves. You have nothing to blame, but yourself from like a month ago no but can i also just say it's interesting to look at the guys that are kind of in free fall right now from their matrix rankings uh because we have a guy that was 53rd in the matrix just just free falling nowhere near getting selected uh 66th still a ways down um that would be jerry lucas yeah oh, man we're a while away from jerry lucas eh, yeah. it's not that far but he'll be a top 100 player, right? Probably. I mean, he's only yeah. three power forwards away. I can't imagine we, we sink that much. No, but I don't think... I think we're done discussing power forwards for the day. Yes, I think so, too. Our nominations heading into the last five spots are Kevin Johnson, Sidney Moncrief, Jimmy Butler, Amari Stoudemire, and Robert Parrish. Is this the Robert Parrish spot? Yeah, I think so. The Chief never had the peak. Like, he didn't even have the peak of... Kevin McHale, which is what we see, but he played for 20 years 
and was pretty good for all of them. And it still makes me mad that he never has an all-defensive team in selection. Like, if anything, that that is a, a swing and a miss. Parrish locks down the middle for those Celtics teams, and you could really argue, while he isn't putting up the same numbers and his usage isn't the same, he is more important to those title teams, given given the the need for interior defense playing against the teams they were playing against. And obviously Mikhail was really good at that as well, but Parrish being seven foot one, I think that's really important. I think Mikhail's peak really they you know they both have what, two all NBA appearances. Maybe Mikhail does have has one, so it's not too far off, but, but yeah. Parrish like versus one of my favorite things to do is look at quotes of guys that played with him. And it, it's never an end-all, be-all, but I think it's really prescriptive of why a player was so good. And so I've got a couple of them here. Uh, ML Cars her, said that you know one of the best things about Parrish is that he runs the floor better than any center in the league. He just has this incredible ability to run the floor. And Larry Bird says the Celtics defense starts and ends with Robert Parrish. Like, Kevin McHale gets all defensive team selections. Parrish doesn't. Part of that's because it was by position and it's much easier to make it as a power forward than as a center. But I absolutely love the all defensive teams of the eighties because like Hakeem will get a hundred like two hundred steals and two hundred blocks and he's like the best defensive center in the league, but Manu Bull blocks seven shots a game and he gets all defensive the all defensive nod or Mark Eden blocks and it's it's just a very strange a very strange time where the all defensive teams it's like, all right, is it Tree Rollins blocking five shots a game this year? It's like all right. Tree Rollins averaging seven, five, and five. Like, he's our guy. Yeah, the league never really figured out how to do defensive metrics well. Like, we still don't know how to do defensive metrics well to try to quantify that award. No, all defense is always rough. I was going to say about Parrish, from age 27 to age 40, age 40, he starts in 1,093 games. He starts 74 of 74 games at age 40. And in those games, he's 16 and a half points, 10 boards, a block and a half, an assist and a half, and a steal on 55% shooting. The effectiveness for that long is so, so impressive. Yeah, I know we're, we're big, we're, we're usually, we're peak over longevity. But I feel like when your peak is much smaller than five years, like if you only have a three or four year peak, we're kind of we're kind of hitting that point where like we're not having guys with this awesome five year stretch. We're either getting some guys that have that really long run or guys with shorter than what we'd like peaks um, that that may still be high. You know, just thinking Tatum's a few spots down. And we haven't even seen Tatum's apex yet, but like the peak of Tatum that we've seen thus far might be good enough to get him up here soon. We we might we might actually be talking in Jimmy Butler before too long. Although this still feels too high. It feels a little too high. For 77, we get a new nomination of Dan Issel. Do you like Issel over Kevin Johnson, Sidney Moncrief, Jimmy Butler, and Amari Stoudemire? I feel like you're the guy that has an Issel case. He's a seven-time All-Star, five-time All-ABA. He's 12th all-time in scoring. So this is the Carmelo thing. Carmelo is 11th, Issel is 12th. Only 11 players have ever scored more points than Issel. And you do get an ABA championship in 1975. Um, he's not as involved in that one as he was years prior, but his first, I guess his ABA years, my computer's not loading. One second. Well, his ABA his, years are really good. They're really good. He's playing basically every game. He's 25 and 11. And you're like, oh, what's well, the ABA, blah, blah, blah. But even after that, he's still able to put together a really impressive run with the Nuggets of 20 and 8 up until age 36. 
his numbers are essentially the same. He does have the higher scoring volume beforehand, but also he is younger. He's younger and the ABA doesn't have fantastic centers. What do you think? The ABA is also not as deep of a league, so he's playing more minutes. Like some of his ABA seasons, he's playing 40 plus minutes. It's a night. Um, but if you just look at his last ABA season where he's at 34 minutes um, and then compare that to his next, what, his next six years, seven years in the NBA where he yes, averages 33. It, it's, yeah, his last year in the ABA and his next seven in the NBA are the, pretty much the same averages. I think this is fair. I think Dan will gets forgotten about but a fair amount. And this is someone who's just, then what I should really start with is, is the broad stuff, which is 22 points per game. Nine boards, two and a half assists on 50% shooting for 1,200 games for 15 years. I think a 70, the 77th slot is fair. Mm-hmm. And you know who this introduces to the board? Joel Embiid. Yeah. Whew. That's, that's spicy. That's a spicy pick. Out of all the players we've seen, Embiid is at the highest level, has gone to the highest level compared to anyone. And we had Jokic 49th. And I think Embiid at 78 kind of feels right. It feels projecting, because here's the thing. Oh, all right, all right, all right, sure. If Embiid never touches another basketball again, which feels like could happen at any minute, and that was one of the things that we said when we started this, was that we weren't going to project on what these guys' futures could be, but we were going to look at what they have done thus far. And thus far, I still think I would take Jimmy Butler over Embiid. I think it's super close. I could picture making the argument for both of them. Jimmy Butler last year in the playoffs just ascends into unstoppable territory. Takes the heat to the Eastern Conference Finals. He's 27. Butler's 27, the 7 and 5, two steals on 50, 33, 84 splits. And even that, he kind of falls flat against Boston. It's not his best series, and he was just demolishing Philadelphia and Atlanta before that. 38 and 5, 27, 7 and 5. He goes down, efficiency takes a hit, but he's still 25, 7, 3. I think Butler is the grittiest, like most winning basketball player who also only plays 55 games a year. We'll see. So he's the winningest 55 game player. What does that leave Joel Embiid? <laughs> the winningest 45 game player? <laughs> there you go. The best player to play 50 games a year. So we have, are we going Butler at 78? I think I'm okay with Embiid just for the star talent. I think I think it's fair to question Butler's peak. Did Butler ever hit a, a level better than being the tenth best player in the league? I, his bubble run is fantastic. It's really cool. I think I feel more comfortable with with Butler around eighty. Um, although there are some players behind Butler that I, I'm regretting that we put that low, but Embiid at seventy eight is good. So you want Embiid at seventy eight? Yeah. The more I look at it, like the man was the second. Is MVP finisher in back-to-back years. That is true. That is beyond. That's way beyond anything Butler's a level Butler's been at. I think the Butler's teams have performed better. He's more reliable in the playoffs. But I think them right next to each other with Embiid with the with the nod is uh, is nice. Was, I mean, there's real good? debate whether Embiid's the best player in the world. Like that was a real conversation last year. I don't, I don't think anyone's like. Go ahead. Can I, can I maybe sneak one player in between them? Sure. That would be our twenty-third center on the list, Bill Walton. Interesting. You want to go Embiid, Walton, Buck? Yes. Because I I keep going back and forth on how do I feel about Walton versus Embiid at this point in their respective careers. Uh, because I'm I'm lower on Bill. And I think I, I oscillate back and forth. Um, because Bill is the driving force of a championship ring. Um, we too often do forget about 
his his quality teammates, Maurice Lucas. Lionel Hollins is on that team. The other guys. <laughs> you know, Bill Walton could do a bit of everything, and his body completely betrayed him. So we're talking about 200 games uh, of greatness, which is just such a slim. Like, we're, we're not... Can we go Butler then Walton? I'm not. I just don't feel comfortable with it. It's so so fast. And if he finishes the 78 season and they make it to the finals, they lose in the first round or whatever. Anything anything else in him getting hurt again, I think I'd feel more comfortable with it. But even the the MVP season that he has, which is so important, he doesn't finish that season. And he plays in the playoffs a little bit, but he he probably shouldn't have. Where Butler has been consistently one of the best players in the league for like 10 years now. But Walton won. Just because he finished the title doesn't mean Butler's not a winner. I mean, I think Butler, if anything, is is one of the one of the great winners in terms of overachieving in the playoffs. I think that's important. He did overachieve. That is, that is a fair, very fair point that he exceeded expectation, which is not something that can be said for the other two guys. All right, you can talk me down into Bill Walton at 80. I love is there him. anyone else that... Is there any- what else that you would like to argue for in this range? I don't think so. I don't think, I think the only one would be Sidney Moncrief, but even for Moncrief, I think it's going to be a, like, he might be the next one, but I, I see a gap there. There's a, quite a bit of a gap there. I don't, it's not time for Tatum. It's, I, it's, I don't think it's Kevin Johnson time either. Amari has a while. I think we're going to see a little bit of a run on centers here. Yeah. Because after, after that, you get to... Nate Thurman, and then Wes Unseld, and Alonzo Mourning, and like, you start seeing some really good players, and prefer those guys over Kevin Johnson. Yeah, I, th- I think Tatum's going to get in there too, but yeah, Stoudemire, Stoudemire's not going to get mentioned for the first half of next pod. <laughs> I think at this point we can, I mean, obviously we can talk about what Tatum's doing right now. We tend to wait until like the season's over to, to like to add it into the collective, but that's part of what's happening. He's the, he's the, at least what I, who I'd vote for for MVP so far. He's fucking incredible. Yeah. Well, and there, there's a reason why we do wait for the, the end of the season. These things could change so fast. I, I went back and I was looking at some of Damian Lillard's numbers in preparation for this pod. And do you remember Bubble Damian Lillard? I do. Well, for anyone that doesn't remember Bubble Dame, we're looking at 37.6 points per game, 9.6 assists per game. He has the Bubble MVP, which is the dumbest thing ever, but it, it was a truly masterful mini stretch of games was there a bubble MVP? that's to that happen? there was a bubble yeah really? that that didn't totally all, escaped my mind they did they at least did an all bubble team but i want to say there was also a bubble mvp what's that worth in the matrix yeah. completely not counted <laughs> go, come on give it to him it's a seven game stretch or sorry, eight game stretch. I can't. <laughs> it was the bubble, dude. Come on. Unanimous bubble MVP. Come on, that's like thirty matrix points. That's bullshit. You want to know what's worse? That they do a f- all bubble first team and all bubble second team. That's eight games. Funny. Oh, the, I, I kind of like it because it was a hell of a thing to participate in, and it, it, a lot of some players just didn't go at all. Do you, you want to know the teams? Isn't TJ Warren like first team? He's first team. Yeah, he's first team. I feel like this is positionless because it's Booker, Lillard, Doncic, Harden, and Warren for the first team. Yeah, it's just got me. Second team is Giannis, Kawhi, Karis Levert, Michael Porter Jr., and Kristaps Porzingis. I mean, you got to put that into something. There's no way you're going to have this matrix and not keep track of the bubble all NBA team. Oy. All right, let's recap. Well, y- we started yes, Artis Gil- We started Artis Gilmore. 
That was the last player we left off of last episode. We went into Damian Lillard at 61, then Ray Allen, Alex English, George McGinnis, Spencer Haywood, Mel Daniels, Tiny Archibald, Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, 70 was Pau Gasol, Sam Jones, Kevin McHale, Billy Cunningham, Grant Hill, Neil Johnston, Robert Parrish, Dan Issel, Joel Embiid, Jimmy Butler, and Bill Walton. I think that's a good list. I think we did a good job. Yep. We are left with nominations of Kevin Johnson, Sidney Moncrief, who's been just hanging out for a really long time, <laughs> Jimmy Butler, Amari Stoudemire, and Nate Thurmond. Wait, Jimmy Butler was number 80. Nah, fuck. Jason Tatum. There he is, folks. There's your young prince. I love it. Well, Mr. Aaron, where can the people find you? Possible chairs on TikTok. Also, like and subscribe, motherfuckers. <laughs> there you My goodness. There you go. That, that's worth keeping in. Na, na, na.